What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to The Skills in Action. We've got a fun episode today as we kick everything off. This is actually a three-way between leader Coco Brown and her Gen Z employee who's amazing, Britt Deviser. Now, Britt is a member and an innovator in the DeSkills community. She is absolutely amazing, lives out in California, is killing it with the Athena Alliance. And in fact, Coco and Britt are the just amazing team representing Athena Alliance, which is a cool women's network that helps women leaders to grow and advance their executive careers. This is going to be amazing. So you guys who are listening, take a couple things away from this. This is a really raw conversation between a leader who is, you know, Gen X, I believe, and is absolutely amazing. And then you have Brit, who's a Gen Zer, and she's a lot like those of us who are listening who are in either high school or gap year college students, or maybe we're early young professionals, and we can take so much away from this because... Coco gives us some secret insight into how she thinks about how to keep Brit on her team and interested. So pay special attention to what a leader like Coco, who's a leader you want to work for, that type of leader, pay special attention to what she shares because this is what leaders are looking for from you as you develop your skills, your real impacts in the world, and just look at what types of companies you eventually want to work for. This is a really fun episode. I'm not going to hold off much longer, but I want to give you a quick insider tip before you listen. When you listen to podcasts like this, especially since we just launched a skills in action, and this is about a community and a movement, right? Like you guys are in our skills community. And if you're not, you need to be. If you're in the skills community though, reach out to the people who are on this show. Go look up Coco Brown on LinkedIn and reach out to her and say you heard her on this podcast. Go reach out to Britt and say, hey, Britt, you know, I heard what you were talking about on this show and I'm super curious about blank. And if you build relationships with the people on this show, I'm giving you, me and Shweta are giving you an open door to build your network early, which is one of the tenets of the DeSkills community. All right. Close those test prep books and open up your ears because we're diving deep with Britt DeVeser and Coco Brown. You're listening to Skills in Action, the show that says no thanks to traditional mindsets and heck yes to building the skills that matter in the real world. So whether you're already a rebel making impacts and building your impact portfolio, or you're impact curious, there's something here for you. We're not just a show. We're a community. We're a movement. So join the conversation at theskills.io forward slash community right now. Thank me later. Well, I'm pumped to dive into this conversation with you two. I've been looking forward to this. Um, We've never done something like this on the show before, having like a think tank style um, episode where we just get to hear from both of your perspectives working together nonetheless. So take me back 
to the origin story of Brit and Coco working together. So as I understand it, Coco, you saw a high potential 22 year old at the time and said, oh my gosh, I'm going to make this amazing Gen Zer, my chief of staff, which I think most leaders looking in on that or listening would say she's out of her mind um, because I who knows, maybe it's the type of leaders that I typically speak to. But the idea of even working with Gen Z is sort of difficult in the first place. And you've taken it to the next level and said, not only am I working with Gen Z, I'm going to put one in a role of leadership and influence within my company which is amazing. So take me back to the origin story. How did you guys meet? And Coco, what stood out to you about Britt that caused you to make this sort of offer? Yeah, so, and Britt can correct me where my memory isn't serving me as well as it should. Um, so, So the origin story, I mean, first of all, I have two Gen Zers that um, my son is 21, going on 22, my daughter's 18. And um, they're brilliant, you know, not just because they're my kids uh, that, you know, like it's not a bias thing, right? I just see so much talent in young people today. And I think it um, different than my generation and other generations is you are wise beyond your years is, is one thing because you've had so much access to information from such a young age and it's coming at you from all different directions and lots of different modalities. And, and so I think you're maybe, I hope you're better at sussing out, um, reality in, in some ways too, because you do see things come in as, um, so many memes, you know, on the same topic from so many different directions that everything is ironic. Everything is sort of funny in some ways, but also you're, you're really plugged in. You know, what is going on, not just a social level, but a a political level, a socio-political level, a, you know, a, a global level, etc. So I just am very impressed with how I, I actually contemplated with my daughter when COVID first started doing a podcast ourselves where we would just tackle everything, you know, um, cancel culture, uh, preferred pronouns. We were, we were going to just like tackle everything because she has some very controversial views on some things and, you know, like, let's just dig into that and talk about it. And um, you know, she had thoughts on nurturing of boys and how we do it wrong and all sorts of things. I thought, you know, we should do a podcast. We just never got around to it. But that's just a little... And this is the same way. daughter who taught you to crochet? My son taught me to crochet. Your Actually, son my son's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my son picked up knitting first and he knit her uh, one of the pussy hats for the, the marches and stuff. <laughs> I love that. I just remember that from our first conversation. That. Oh my gosh, that that was just amazing. <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. So my yeah, my my son's the knitter uh and I'm a crocheter now. But um so I'm trying to think of the exact uh staging of all of it, but I had reached out to University of Washington um and started hiring interns through University of Washington first. Uh, as well as my son and his buddy, they did video editing. Uh, this is all like COVID hits and, you know, we, we hire a bunch of interns because these kids are bored at home and, you know, and their minds are fabulous and well-working machines and they need to be, you know, doing stuff. So we hire my son, his friend, and um, 
and actually, the, yeah, my son, his friend, and actually one of our members' daughters, who's uh, who is at University of Washington. This is how it goes, and they all are doing video editing for us. And the daughter uh, of the friends, she was a business major, and she, you know, she said to her mom six months into it, "I've learned more through Athena than I did through four years of business." Uh, following a business degree. She was a senior at the time at University of Washington. No dig on University of Washington. My son goes there too, and it's awesome. So, you know, I'm like, wow, these these kids are really bright. And, and so I went back to University of Washington and I found that they had a sales program. Actually, one of our, um, one of our members was doing some advising work or teaching at the University of Washington sales program. And she introduced me to the head of it. And I started hiring interns from there for sales. And we had, um, I think three different interns for sales that were all really bright kids and, um, just doing, you know, lead gen, right. It, I mean, they were just doing lead gen, but they did a report and they, you know, did this as kind of a, a an internship that was in alignment with their sales program. And so they had to do a presentation and we all came to it and and they had analyzed our funnel and you know what we were doing and where the stages of funnel needed a little shoring up. And I was like, wow, these these guys are they weren't just lead gen, you know, they weren't just finding leads on LinkedIn. They were they were thinking about it and they were crafting the right <clears throat> outreach and test A B testing on stuff. And, you know, I think largely of their own volition because they were reporting to me at the time and I was not leading them. I was, I was teaching them, you know, I was showing up and saying, here's what we do and how we do it. And this is what you're looking for. And you know, I wasn't teaching them sales. I didn't have the bandwidth for it. I was just winging it in some ways. So all that's backdrop. We still um, bring in uh, interns from University of Washington. I love them. And it's not just UW. It's just that that's what we found. And be happy to have them from other places. We also brought in a couple of interns from um, Howard. Uh, you know, so historically um, black university, and so these two fabulous young ladies from Howard who ended up working on our product team, and they were doing product management, basically just doing a lot of um, managing the various different tickets and issues and things through the bug cycle and resolution for our product team. Also, I want to interject really quickly here, Coco, because I don't, before we leave this, I don't want to cap, I don't want to miss this. So you said just a second ago, and I know we're getting to where Britt comes in here, which will be (laughs) awesome. But um, to go back to these interns you hired from the University of Washington, you, let me make sure I understood you correctly. So you were saying that these college students were doing A-B testing, lead generation, and looking for inefficiencies in your sales cycle. And did I hear you correctly that you had no bandwidth to do any training? As in, this is what the Gen Zers were coming up with on their own based on just the framework you gave them for what you were looking to accomplish? And what they had learned in their sales uh, certificate program within University of Washington. They were all juniors and seniors. And so, yeah, they sort of were putting their theories to to work. What I've noticed about previous generations is a lot more shyness, a lot more waiting to be told what to do, a lot more required structure, which was never me, by the way. Like, I was like a bull in the china shop when I came out of college. I was like, 
kind of unusual. You know, I was a VP by the time I was 28 years old. I was running things by the time. I feel like I'm more like a Gen Zer than I am like a Gen Xer in a lot of ways. And but I saw a lot of people, and I think it's still true about. I think in some ways, and I think this is something, Hannah, that I heard from you as well, is that in some ways the the education system drives the creativity and entrepreneurship out of young people in in some ways, and so uh, it's nice to catch them early, where they're you know they don't know that there's some hierarchy they need to fit into, and that they should not step on people's toes, and that you know like it's good to just let them be free range a little bit because I think they have the the natural surroundings and ability to soak stuff up that some generations of the past have not had. And so, you know, jumping to to, to Brit, I just reached out actually, because I'd also made connections with UC Santa Barbara and I'd reached out to a guy who was leading the entrepreneurship program at UC Santa Barbara and um, asked him, you know, do you have any great students going through your program that I could hire as sales interns. And he's like, well, this young lady, Brit just graduated. You need to meet her. And so I said, great. And this is where I sort of like, I'm like, fine, hired. (laughs) So, so I'm not going to take credit to say I saw this brilliance in Brit and immediately made her my my chief of staff because that actually isn't exactly how it happened. So I'll let Brit take over here. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was doing this. It was actually super serendipitous. I was a psych and a comm major at UCSB and I was approaching graduation and I was like, ah, what am I doing next? And I didn't really have anything planned. The only thing I had planned is I wanted to travel a little bit because COVID was finally, things were finally opening up. Well, going back a little bit, my roommate was in this entrepreneurship program and she was like, I need some help. And I was like, cool, like I'm just going to hang on to the last little bit of college that I can get. So in the last, like I had actually already graduated, but in the last three months leading up, I graduated a little early. Um, So in the three months leading up to my actual graduation, I was like, I'll just do that entrepreneurship program. And I realized like, this is actually really fun. And so had a really great time with this entrepreneurship program, ended up actually making it to the finals of this program. And that's when Dave, who heads that program, introduced me to Coco um, and they were looking for interns. And it was like, at this point, it was like day of my graduation. And I was like, okay, intern is fine, but I'm actually looking for a job. And so I interviewed and they were, I, I got the job and I just like kind of from the start, I was, they said, okay, so like, this is our new intern. And I'm like, actually, I work here now. <laughs> so I didn't really accept the title of intern. I was just like, can I not be called that? I don't know if you knew that Coco, but I was like, I'm trying to work. No. <laughs> I just graduated, I need a job. <laughs> Um, and so I started, I, I didn't start working with Coco off the bat. Um, I worked at Athena for about a year as a salesperson. So I was working on the B2C side of our sales team. Um, and then there was this point about a year into my time with Athena where, um, some people had shifted around and then I was brought, uh, Coco could maybe speak more to that, but then I was brought into the role of chief of staff where I'm helping Coco predominantly on the B2B side of the business. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I don't know if it's a Gen C C thing or it's a Brit thing or 
a certain Gen Z thing. I don't know, but you know, it, she definitely like like not accepting that. You know, I'm not an intern, <laughs> right? Like, just kind of going and creating what gives you the space to be to offer the best that you can offer, right? And so she kept doing that in in her role, and she was illustrating a lot of sort of creativity and ability to, you know have great meaningful conversations with people and create content and like she just kept showing herself in different ways and so I was at a board retreat actually a year ago and one of and we were talking about the team and who's you know doing what and has you know and, and what Coco needs and and essentially we were we sort of settled on um, I'm a rainmaker for the business and and so how do we amplify my ability to make rain. And someone said, well, if Brit's so great, why don't you make her your chief of staff? Um, so one of our board members said, Brit should be the chief of staff, which was great because this is also what I expected. Everybody around me is like, it's not about convention and, you know, sort of rules of the game. It's like, okay, what are we trying to do? Where's the rest? You know, what are the puzzle pieces and how do you plug them together properly? You know? get the right people on the bus and then put them in the right seats as you discover the seats that they belong to. Um, so, so that, you know, that, that was excellent because uh, as soon as Brick came into that role, you know, immediately we were talking about like, well, what is this role? And I'm like, okay, you're not keeping my calendar. You're not, you know, my assistant in any way. It was more like, you're my apprentice. Right? <laughs> so, so she just started sitting in on every sales call I would have and then started taking over. That's right. incredible. And it, it, there's so much gold here that I want to dive into a little bit deeper. So one thing you said a second ago, Coco and Britt, I'm really curious from your point of view as a Gen Zer working in an amazing company, what your perspective or maybe thought process was as you were going through you're, you know, not being an intern, but being hired and wanting to prove yourself. Um, so Coco, you said something about how it seems like maybe this is a Brit thing, but that Brit is like a go-getter. She's creating her own pathways. She's figuring out ways to add value. And it very closely aligns with something I talk about frequently, which is Gen Z, when we look at career paths, for example, we're not looking at our career as a ladder. We're not looking at climbing or having to knock the person above us off in order to grow. Like our growth path or the way we think about things is much more like a climbing wall where you choose your own pathway to the top or like a jungle gym where you play around on different parts of the playground as you learn new skill sets, new aptitudes, new, you know, all of these different things. Um, and sometimes that includes traveling to a different country to learn, you know, how they do business or taking, uh, you know, kind of stepping down sometimes, taking a role that's maybe less pay in order to gain a new skill set to then grow. So I'm really curious, like Britt, as you were coming into the Athena Alliance and working with the team, where was your head as a new graduate, like preparing for this sort of role um, in terms of like that jungle gym analogy? Like, were you thinking about, I'm going to grow in this organization for a really long time, or my goal being here is to gain new skill sets in a bunch of different areas. Just walk me through any direction you want to take this. Where was your headspace in terms of your career path and your growth? Yeah, I would say, so when I graduated two years ago, like I came out of that 
entrepreneurship program being like, okay, that was fun. Like I really enjoyed kind of the, the problem solving and the um, creativity that comes with entrepreneurship. And I saw this company, Athena, as a really great opportunity to continue that and continue learning more about entrepreneurship. A little background about Athena is we're a startup. We're a pretty small company. Um, and so, you know, always just trying to figure it out. And so um, I, when I came into Athena, I just like, I really came in with the intention of learning as much as I can. And still that that's my intention today. And so, you know, Coco was mentioning that that intern who said she learned more in the few months she was working with Athena than she did at her business program. You know, Athena, we're an executive learning and development community. So women in and around the C-suite, the CEO's office in the boardroom come to Athena um, with goals of landing board work or, you know, advancing to the next level in their career. And so a big part of what we do is we put on executive education. So like three to five times a week, we're hosting live virtual learning events. And like early days of Athena, I was at all of those events. <laughs> and I just was like, because there's so much wisdom there. It's all these women, these badass women who've had these really incredible careers who are talking about things that they've learned along the way. And I was like, I mean, I can learn from that. So I feel like very early days, like I just came here with the intention to learn. And I've told Coco that a lot too. So when I got, you know, elevated to this chief of staff role, I was like, cool, like, that's just, you know, another opportunity to learn something. And so that was really my intention all along. And I am learning a lot, not only about, you know, the business of running a business through what Athena is, you know, hosting on a, on a pretty much daily basis, but also... I really have a lot of insight into how Athena, which is a startup, is, you know, is working. And so I, I get a lot of insight into, into the business of running a business and I'm learning a lot. And that was my intention all along. You know, and I would just say, I don't know if you've read the book, The Defining Decade, um, if either of you have, or if any of the listeners have, they, I, I highly recommend it. My, my son recommended it to me. Um, because one of his, his psychology uh, teacher when he was in high school, he took some psych classes and she, after he graduated, sent it to him and said, I really think that you should read this book. <clears throat> and it talks about, I think it's relevant in all decades, but it's this psychologist who works with um, only with people in their 20s. And so she's talking about how in our 20s, you, you, we've sort of created a very laissez-faire like attitude about them. There's both a ton of pressure and then a ton of just freedom at the same time. You know, you're supposed to figure out everything in your 20s and what you want to be in your 20s. But at the same time, you're supposed to enjoy yourself and have fun in your 20s, you know? And so it's this really hard balance. And um, and I think, you know, the way I, I think about and some of what she talks about is that you sort of have to be um, exploratory, but with intention, like, you know, so for example, don't just take a barista job at, at Starbucks. If you have a psychology and a comms degree, go explore things that will, you know, allow you to leverage that while giving you maybe the entrepreneurial thing to also explore to, because maybe down the road, what you're going to become is an entrepreneur yourself and, or you're going to go lead the HR department of a company or, but you're in discovery mode, right? And you need to be allowed the freedom to be in discovery mode, but you need to be building block, you know, layering building blocks, e even if you don't know exactly where they're heading. 
And I think about that a lot with, you know, obviously because I have two kids who are there and entering that, that phase. And, but then also because I have Brit who I've come to rely on a lot. And, you know, so I think about my time with Brit as, you know, somewhat borrowed time, right? I'm like, okay, I've got some (laughs) borrowed time with Brit. How much do I have? And, and I think it's really, uh, my great challenge to figure out how much can I push her? How much can I demand? How much can I like squeeze right out of the brilliance of, of Brit while also giving her the freedom and the, you know, breadth to, to hold on to her for as long as I can. <laughs> right. That's, that's sort of the, the tricky balance with the Gen Zers, because I think you are, as you said, you know, you're much more exploratory. You'll take the lower salary for the greater experience. You might want to just take off for a year. So as an employer of that person who wants the most out of them for as long as possible, you have to, you have to figure out that balance. And that's what I'm always thinking about myself. I think you're speaking into something here, Coco, that so many leaders I talk to are feeling all the time. It's that interesting balance. And maybe, Britt, maybe you and I can sort of provide some of the journey inside of our heads and this thought process to help leaders with this, because I hear this all the time. It's like leaders are trying to figure out how much do I pour into someone because I know they're probably only going to be here for a little while, but also how do I keep them engaged? Like there's there's this struggle and this balance. And first of all, I just have to say, the fact both of you are on here talking about this openly is <laughs> phenomenal. Like this, this is just not usual. <laughs> it is not usual. And I'll drop a hot take from an HR perspective. I had a wonderful leader who it was my very first role out of, it was, you know, it's very similar to you, Britt, internship into a leadership position with a very similar organization doing executive training. And this is where I felt like I gathered all my wisdom. The VP of this department, day one, we were just chatting about this, the future and, and all that. And he looks at me and he says, So Hannah, I know you're not gonna be with me forever. Like you're not gonna be with us forever, but I know that you're gonna be giving 110% effort every single moment of however long you're here with us. And I'd rather have that than someone who's here punching a clock for 10 years. Like I'd rather have that. And I have taken, like that meant so much to me. It was the reason I gave them six months notice before I left that company <laughs> because we had that open dialogue, right? Like it, uh, Chris, he knew everything. He knew when I was looking for a new position. He knew when I needed to look at moving. He knew what my plans were because we had that sort of openness and trust. But mm-hmm. Coco, I'll tell you, I share that story with leaders all the time. And they look at me like, I. I could never tell someone on their first day that like I could never say, I know you won't be here forever. Like, aren't they just going to start thinking about leaving? And I'm sitting there like, if you, if you don't have any more like depth and you're fearful of that question, then yeah, they probably shouldn't be working with you. So anyway, that's my hot take is every leader of Gen Z needs to be asking that or saying that to Mm -hmm. their new employees within like the first month. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's, I want to get both of your perspectives on that. So maybe let's start with Britt. Like if you, if you hear that, I know that you won't be here forever, but I know you're going to give a hundred and two percent effort every single day. I'm here to support you and your career and help you learn and grow. How does that translate to you? 
Um, I, I think, I mean, that's not that shocking to me. And I think that's just how us Gen Zers are. Like, obviously, like, we're not, this is not new information. Like, we're not looking to stay at companies until we retire anymore. Like, that's just not how it works anymore. And that's, you know, that's just how it is these days. So that doesn't shock me. Um, and what you were saying about like how leaders can manage that, like, and again, it is what you were saying also about, you know, it's crazy that we're actually doing this, that the two of us are having this conversation. I think that's very much a testament to Coco and who she's, who Coco is. Um, Coco's a bit of an anomaly in a way that Coco, I honestly feel like you're kind of a Gen Z in a Gen X clothing. <laughs> like, this is just how you think. This is not, you know, crazy stuff to you. And so I think how Coco and I have made it work is that Coco has a very transparent leadership style. So we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And, you know, Coco gave me a few things to run with when I first took on this role of chief of staff. I think she said, like, um, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And time kills all deals or something. That's more of the sales yes. side. But like she really just said, like, you know, you take it, you run with it, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And, and that really, you know, she gave me a lot of, um, you know, responsibility and entrepreneurship in, in that own sense, uh, in that way. And so I think it works for us because we constantly have this very, there's like a trust there. There's a very open dialogue there. We talk about this kind of stuff. So before, Coco, before you answer, Britt, I love this so much because in <laughs> essence, your first reaction was, this is just expected. Like, this is just normal, right? Like, so you should have this sort of dialogue with your leader. You should have, you know, the ability to communicate just by the fact that you're a Gen Zer, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you probably won't be with someone for your entire career. And yet, I talk to dozens of companies a week who do not understand that. And I'm not I'm not joking. Like they don't understand that. Like either the reaction is if I hire Gen Zers, they're going to be with me for such a short period of time that I can't even do anything worthwhile or I expect them to acclimate to our standards of staying here 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Like it's it's one of the two and it's very rare that a leader and a Gen Zer would have this relationship of we're going to work together in an incredible way for however long it is, a couple of years. Maybe it looks one way for a few years and a different way for another year. And then we start, I don't know, maybe Britt goes out and starts her own multi-million dollar company and gets to work in partnership with like, there's just so many different things, exciting things that could happen. And yet most companies can't get past the, the mental block of if I hire a Gen Zer, they're not going to stay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Coco, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this is one of the reasons that I want Athena to exist in the first place is that I think that the corporate structure is, I mean, it's designed based on a factory model, you know, where you punch in, you punch out, you know, it's nine to five, like it's designed based on something that happened in the 1800s. And um, and people still operate by it. it. It's so ingrained that people completely operate by it. It's something that's only a couple hundred years old in comparison to society that that you know has been thousands, tens, you know, ten thousand years old plus, right? The 
problem is, is that what's happening today is companies are saying, okay, okay, people only stay somewhere three years. Now that's what they've become, right? So, so then it's like, well, if you more move more often than three years, then you're a complete loser, right? Like, so it's, but we, we have to keep putting people into boxes, right? Boxes that we can understand and relate to. And so that we can skim someone's resume and, and sort them in or sort them out, right? Like, and so we need this very binary categorization model that that is the way that we have been doing things for as long as we've been doing them in a corporate sense. But the world is moving to a complete web, a complete non-structured model. And, um, you know, that's computers, but it's also society. And so you have to think more creatively about the relationships you have in in business and and about the business structure and how it works. And, you know, because if you're complete command and control, for example, when we see that there's a problem in our structure, if you're complete command and control, you go from one layer to the next to the next, trying to figure out where the problem really exists in the structure. If you're more organic, then as a leader, you kind of come in in different layers to try to figure out where the, where the problem is in the structure. So that you can bring it back. Maybe it's three layers deep and you need to go back to the leader and say, hey, you've got a problem three layers deep. And, you know, so, but that goes, that flies in the face of the norms of business, that that there's a hierarchy, that there's a reporting chain, that so-and-so only talks to so-and-so and that before they talk to so-and-so. And and it's just ineffective and inefficient. And so we're going way beyond just the, the, the matter at hand, but I think it all is interwoven, which is as a leader in today's world, we are working with five generations. There's the silent generation still in the workforce. There's the Gen Xers, there's the millennials, and there's the Gen Zers. Like that, that whole thing, well, that's four, right? So boomers. And I the, boomers, the boomers, yeah. I forgot the boomers. So there's silent boomers, Gen X, millennial, and Z, all working in the workforce. And I feel it because in the boardroom, you have silent generation as well as, as boomers. So you have to get more organic about the way that we think about our relationships. So what I think about Brit, I think, okay, if I'm going to hold on to somebody like Brit, who I know a couple of things about, I know that she likes to experiment. I know that she tends to win when she gets in, you know, so because she like, she's like, oh, I'll just do the entrepreneurial program. And she, you know, she did a TED talk when she was 16 or something She in high school and she... Like she tends to win, not as a competition, right? But as a, like a, like as an achievement and ambition. Um, and, and things are temporal for her. She wants to travel. She wants to be in different spaces. So when I, and, and also she's not afraid to ask. So when I, when I know these couple things about Brit, right? I go, okay, she has all of the elements, the ingredients of someone who can be in charge, who can lead, right? So if I'm going to make a space where Brit wants to stay long-term, she is going to have to feel organically that more and more of the business is hers over time, that it's hers. That, and, and that's the way that I have to think about her. And, so, and that's the way I have to sneak up on her too, right? <laughs> now that I've just played all my cards. But, you know, so, so, so that's the way I have to think about Brit. And that's why Apprentice makes more sense to me, you know, those sorts of models in my mind as opposed to my employee, my, you know, title, my whatever. Brid, what's your reaction to all of that? 
there were a few things along the way of me working at Athena. I mean, starting with when I was first just an intern, she was inviting me to leadership meetings. And then she invited me to participate and, you know, ask what I was thinking about what was happening in those leadership meetings. And then at one point she said to me, like on the side, she was like, Britt, you know, if you ever have an idea, take with it and run with it. And she's always told me, you know, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And so that really gave me a sense of ownership in Athena and, and a sense of knowing that, you know, I can actually have an impact here. And that's huge for me. Like for someone my age to be able to have an impact on business, like that's so cool. And so if leaders are wanting to engage their Gen Z, like, I don't know, pay, take a page from Coco's book. It's worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And so what are some of the like examples, if you can think of one off the top of your head, an idea you've had that you've just decided to run with and ask for forgiveness later, um, you know, just just take some, are there any interesting examples of something you've run with? Hmm. I mean, I feel like I do it quite often. Like I, I work on the B2B, like the enterprise sales side of things at Athena. And so um, each account is very unique and different. And so, you know, I'll put proposals together, or I'll come up with ways to, you know, get to the CEO instead of the director of blah, blah, blah. And so, I don't know, I feel like with most accounts, I'm, I'm typically not asking for permission. I'm just doing what I think needs to be done. And I ask for guidance, of course, but I don't know That's if, a great if you have example. any examples in mind. Yeah, no, I, th I mean, I think there's lots of examples, you know, Britt will come back and say, we've had so many meetings and so many proposals and that's only translated to this and um, result. And so I think we're doing something, you know, wrong. Here's where I think we have success and we should try doing something different. And here's what I'm thinking we should try different. And, uh, you know, I think to, to, to me, uh, this is regardless of generation, this is always what I'm looking for in general is the, um, is not just problem identify, people who can identify problems, but who then immediately go from identifying the problem to thinking about the solution and who um, come up with creative alternatives in the solutions that are also reasonable and practical and things you can try as opposed to like, you know, like in an ideal world, <laughs> as opposed to in an ideal world, right? And so I, I think those are core traits of any great um, coworker, you know, colleague, and because then you can do so much more with that person. So when I, when I see that kind of taking action and, and I say, you know, it's better to, to ask for forgiveness than, than permission. I say that to everyone, but very few people really take me up on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's, that's unfortunate because, I mean, there's times certainly where you can make big mistakes, but people make big mistakes, you, you know, everybody makes big mistakes and we learn from them, you know, the, the more painful they are, the more we tend to learn. But if you get in, if you if you get someone who's willing to take you up on that, but that also has the creativity and the rationale to be able to limit the ideas within what's reasonable and feasible within the structure, 
then you want to give them tons of freedom. And, and that's, that's what I think for everybody. It's not, it, it, you know, I don't think of it as just Gen Z. I'm actually, I think largely, uh, generation agnostic, you know, I, I just don't <laughs> care what age you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and there's something massive here that's kind of a, an unlock. And I think a lot of people will resonate with this is, you know, regardless of generation, you know, Dan Pink talks about to keep an employee engaged, you need to have autonomy, mastery and purpose in work, right? Like that's regardless of age, regardless of background, like that's what humans need in our work. However, you said something interesting a second ago, Coco, and you said, I don't know if this is a generational thing or whatnot, but it seems like perhaps, and maybe this is again, just a Brit thing, but Brit's willing to take those risks and make mistakes, which may not be evident in a lot of other generations per se, at least that's been my experience as well. You know, I've worked in corporate for, I guess it was seven years before I went out on my own. And, um, you know, that was my experience is the young people coming in. If a leader told them to jump, they'd ask why. And in previous Mm -hmm. generations, a leader tells you to jump, you jump, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the culture. And in my generation, and Britt, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. If someone told me to jump, you know, jump off a bridge, whatever decision it was, a problem we were trying to solve, I would ask why. I'd ask for, you know, the reasons. I'd assess it against my own understanding of the strategy I had in my head and the recommendations I would give. And then I might resist it. You know, I might push back and said, well, if that's the, if that's the why behind why we're making this incredible, you know, this huge decision, then here's some reasons to consider why we should go an alternate direction. Like I'm willing to question that. And I think a lot of Gen Z is, in fact, um, I just had breakfast the other day with a group of five high schoolers who are absolutely brilliant. You know, one can, one's just playing around with code and he's showing me some things on his phone that I had never heard of. Another one is just a brilliant communicator, you know, top of her debate class, all this jazz. And they're like 16, 17 years old. And I was presenting them with a project idea. And one of the 17 year olds looked at me and he goes, well, you know, this is great and all, and you seem like a really great person, but how did this just come up out of the blue? Like, I need, I need to know more of why you, why you chose us. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, if, if I had been talking to any other generation, and I've had this experience where, you know, leaders will look at me in shock if I answer a question in that way as like, why? Tell me why. They look at me and go, you know, well, you don't need to know. And that's just not the case. I I was looking at at those kids like, thank you for asking and not just accepting, you know, an opportunity without consideration for what your needs are and and all of this. And it just gave me so much, um, not just hope, but like excitement. Like you're willing to question someone who's older than you. Thank God we finally have high schoolers willing to do that in a respectful way. Um, so anyway, I, Britt, do you have any, any thoughts along these lines of like, why, why is our generation so willing to question authority or to ask, at least ask why respectfully? And like, why do you think maybe our generation has that courage or do you agree with this entire sort of statement? I definitely agree that we're more willing to do that. I don't, I I don't know. I can't think exactly as to why, but no, I would definitely agree that our, our generation is is more prone to doing that kind of stuff. I, I have a little bit of an idea on the why. I 
I think it's because in previous generations, when your world is so confined, you don't necessarily have the ability to trust innately that your why has reason, you know? So when I was growing up, when a lot of the millennials were growing up still, the information base around you is relatively small. So when the information base became Mm. so big and infinite um, and ironic and funny, (laughs) it Mm. it gives you, you know, like all the memes, all of the, you know, it, it gives you greater confidence to, I think, question, but question without the same level of anxiety around the questions that, that other generations would potentially have. Um, I feel that I'll give you, I'll give you a funny example. Like there was one time, one of Kai's friends, uh, my son's friends, Ben, who worked at Athena for a little while. I didn't realize that, that young men were wearing nail polish, that this had become like this, you know, regular thing. And, and, and Ben shows up at my house and he's got nail polish on. And I was like, Ben, why are you wearing nail polish? And he goes, Kai, Coco, why wouldn't I wear nail polish? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> huh, right. Because my, and this is a perfect example of it, my world of reference is tiny, right? My world of reference was television and, you know, very late in the game internet. And his world of reference is the entire world at his fingertips. And the ideas of what is okay and norm and fashion and re- you know regular and just explodes right and so he can go very quickly to why wouldn't I where mine is confined in a why would you because of what I know to be the norms to be the structure etc and his was it's pretty right and I'm like oh right and then he he goes further and he's laughing at me and he's like you're asking because you know I'm not gay <laughs> and, and I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Like, right. Like my walls are my boundaries. My sort of structure is, is much more binary defined. Right. Whereas, and this is the thing that I love and think is so beautiful about the new generations too, in terms of like gender and sexuality, it's increasingly being seen as a social construct. The reason we have LGBTQIA plus plus is an, an alphabet soup is because it's a continuum. It's not an on-off, right? And so for younger generations, when everything is a continuum, where everything is gray, where everything is debatable, it's much easier to orient yourself towards a position of like, well, why? As opposed to the older generations that were created in binary structures, we don't ask why because we, we know the rule set and the norms and it's much clearer. This is so good. Oh my gosh, we could talk about this for hours. I have a feeling, and there, as you were talking, Coco, we could have gone down a million different rabbit trails from there, but we are getting to the end of time. So I just wanted to ask you all do you have any other areas or topics, whatever, that you want to touch base on? I, I think we covered a lot today. I don't know, Coco, do you have anything? Oh my God. Well, I mean, so I think we covered a lot, but there's so much <laughs> more we can talk about. Yeah, <laughs> we could so go on forever. 
Well, you guys will just have to come back. We'll have to do we'll have to do a think tank part two. This it's so cool to have both of your perspectives, especially working together. I cannot tell you how I mean, once this episode is live, this is going to so many people in just, you know, my sphere who need to hear this sort of honesty between people working with each other. Like it's one thing to say, like Coco, if you and I had done this just alone without Brit, it's one thing to say you can talk about Gen Z in this sort of silo. It's quite mm-hmm. another thing to say, I'm working with an, a legendary Gen Zer, and I'm going to we're going to talk openly about some things that are really hard for other leaders to grasp that we're already doing really well. And so I just want to thank you both for your transparency. And this has been so much fun. But Coco, yes, did you were, th- were there any other things you wanted to touch on? No, that's I mean, I think have us back. We're, we're happy to come back or at least I am. <laughs> Me too. This is fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you both so much. And um, I just can't wait for people to hear this type of honesty. This is awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. Well, there they are, the absolutely incredible Britt DeVeser and Coco Brown. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget, go find them on LinkedIn. Go check out the Athena Alliance. Connect with these two incredible women because you can build your network earlier by starting off with an open door like this podcast has given you. All right, go Rebels, ditch the script. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for listening to Skills in Action. We hope you were inspired to make an impact in your own community. If you enjoyed this episode, we sure would love it if you'd leave us a rating and review. It really helps us to reach more amazing Gen Zers with these messages. And if you're not a part of this movement in our community, then get yourself over to that website and join. Go to skills.io forward slash community. If you are a high schooler, gap year adventurer or a gen z professional with a different mind we'll see you next week here on the skills in action